This episode of Intelligent Medicine is brought to you by Protocol for Life Balance, offering a wide range of professional-grade products using ingredients backed by strong scientific research. Among them, several stand out, which can help keep your blood vessels healthy and your circulatory system working properly, including Protocol's unique soy-free form of vitamin K2 that has been shown to promote healthy vascular structures, and D3, which helps maintain healthy blood levels of calcium. They're available in several forms and dosages, including a new combined formulation, which harnesses the synergistic effects of both K2 and D3. They're backed by solid scientific data, and available now at drhoffman.com slash protocol for life balance. That's drhoffman.com slash protocol for life balance for more information and to order. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. It's my favorite time of the week. It's time for Q&A with Layla, wherein I get to engage in a lively colloquy with my good colleague, Layla Mutin, who is our nutritionist in residence, uh, answering your questions. Your questions come to radio program at AOL.com. And I'm delighted to say that uh, we got a pretty full mailbag of questions, just enough to... Um, spike our conversation today. How are you doing, Layla? Okay, Dr. Hoffman, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Yeah, enjoying the uh, warmer weather as finally as uh, the season is turning. I had a wonderful yes. weekend of uh, activity because it was really quite warm. And it was really, it was, you know, I was on my bike quite a lot um, riding the hills of New Jersey. And it was just really great to shed all the winter clothing, you know, all the layers. I mean, I just put down, you know, put on my minimal kit and uh, it was um, it was hot. But, you know, when you're riding along, yeah. you know, 15, 20 miles an hour, uh, you're you're generating your own breeze. So that was, <laughs> it was very That's enjoyable. Fast. Yeah. 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 Well, actually, I, I hit a record on my bike because there's some real uh, steep downhills and I, I went. 33 miles per hour on my bike. I mean, that doesn't seem like very fast to those of you who ride around in cars, but on a bike, that's a little... Uh, that's fast. It's a little hair-raising, yeah. I mean, but, you know, by just by comparison, the people who do the, the Tour de France, they're going like 50, 60 miles an hour you know, on some of the downhills because uh, they don't put the brakes on. They just... Yeah, that's... Yeah. Just, I mean, and hey, if they... do you remember... Do you remember the Olympiad uh, Usain Bolt? yeah. Didn't he didn't he crack thirty miles an hour running? That that could be. I mean, that sounds a little astronomical, but uh, you know, I think the human is capable of going into the twenties. But yeah, maybe maybe he, he you know crossed that magical threshold of thirty miles per hour. <laughs> yeah. What an appropriate name for him, Bolt. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's and uh, I think it's actually his real name. All right, so um, yeah. yeah. Apropos of which, uh, the Olympics is uh, quite compromised this year because. Uh, strangely yeah. enough, uh, their Japan, which did pretty well in the beginning of the pandemic, because they actually sort of pulled up their, they're like a, a you know a castle with a moat, you know they they basically pulled up the drawbridges. Uh, they as a result, they don't have a lot of immunity. They're they're not a lot of people who experienced it, so they're virgin territory for the virus. And their vaccine campaign, I don't understand this, a, a very advanced industrialized country. Uh, I think it's like something like a single digit or low double digit of their pay, of their populace has taken the vaccine. 
So, huh. um, they're, so they're, interesting. they're talking about making it a, just a, uh, a non-spectator Olympics. They, they almost, you know, a lot of people talk about canceling the Olympics. The Olympics are extraordinarily unpopular in Japan because they don't want an influx of people from other parts of the world to start, you know, a, a second or third wave in their country. Uh, it's really, yeah. It's a very weird situation because, I mean, everybody's proceeding as if, yeah, yeah, we're going to have the Olympics, but the Olympics are going to be, at best, uh, quite different this year. So, um, on the topic of um, COVID-19, which still remains the elephant in the room, I mean, think, look, things are a lot better. There's a really a kind of a positive, optimistic spirit in this country. And, you know, there's a really a sense of, uh, you know, where we are in New York of uh, reawakening. Uh, lots of people, you know, going to... Uh, uh, to to restaurants and uh, Broadway seems to be uh, due to open and people are buying tickets for concerts. Wow, what a concept! You know, going into a Yay. going to a large <laughs> interior space with other people. Whoa, what a notion! Um, there's a, a report in Nature, uh, which is mm-hmm. the world's leading scientific journal. I mean, this is the real deal. You know, the Nature is uh, you know very very high on the credibility list. Uh, the, the findings were published um, this week, uh, and the headline here is, Good News, Mild COVID-19 Induces Lasting Antibody Protection. People who've had mild illness develop antibody-producing cells that can last a lifetime. And um, this, uh, I think, wow. speaks I to uh, what's called T-cell immunity, which is long-term memory. And... This was actually a controversial notion because some people test negative for antibodies a few months after mm-hmm. uh, an infection. So the notion is they're vulnerable. That was what that was the assumption. But the T cells, which are less accessible to testing, uh, maintain memory, which they say can last a lifetime. Uh, I'm reading here a senior author of the study, uh, Ali Elabedi. PhD and associate professor of pathology and immunology medicine and of molecular biology says last fall, there were reports that antibodies wane quickly after infection with the virus that causes COVID-19 and mainstream media interpreted that to mean that immunity was not long lived, but that's a misinterpretation of the data. He says it's normal for antibody levels to go down after an acute infection, but they don't go down to zero. They plateau. Here we found antibody-producing cells in people 11 months after first symptoms. These cells will live and produce antibodies for the rest of people's lives. That's strong evidence for long-lasting immunity. Now, uh, I contrast this with the rather unnuanced approach we're taking to vaccination uh, because, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's estimated that here in New York, you know, we were ground zero for the pandemic, that maybe 30-40% of the populace uh, had covid Maybe more in certain neighborhoods and certain popular subpopulations. So um, that was not enough to achieve herd immunity. So the vaccine took it to a higher level. But, uh, you know, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to piggyback a vaccine on top of people who probably have lifelong immunity. And yet that's the, the you know, the stance that they're taking is that regardless whether you think you've had it or whether you've had it, you should take the vaccine. Um, so is that scientific at all? Totally. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, hashtag science, you know, follow the science, follow the science. Well, they're not following the science here because the science, well, look, science changes. It's, it's, it, it's, it's very, it's dynamic. This is a, a new finding. It's a confirmation of what some people uh, talked about. Uh, Marty McCary, for example, 
who, by the way, is you know is a pretty prestigious guy. He's uh, editor of MedPage, which is a, a you know mainstream, um, uh, you know, uh, it's a mainstream uh, website for medical information. Uh, also, he's published some articles in the Wall Street Journal suggesting that you know we may have uh, we may reach herd immunity even before everybody is vaccinated. So uh, because of this, because of the fact that people have had it in the past, and the you know we. In the past, we did not have a way of uh, determining who had this immunity because their antibodies waned on the antibody test. But now we have a test called the T-detect test, which I'm doing on some of my patients. Some of my patients have said, well, you know, should I take the vaccine? I'll take it if I haven't had it. But I really think I had it. I was really sick in February before they had uh, accurate testing for COVID. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, uh, you know, the, their antibodies may have waned a few months later after an acute infection, but they may have a T-cell memory, and the T-detect test can determine that with some degree of accuracy. So uh, we have a couple of patients who are asking for that test just to see if they really, really need the vaccine. Um, unfortunately, uh, the powers that be won't, will discriminate against people who have not had the vaccine, who, are, who have had it. You know, it, they're looking for a vaccine certificate rather than a more nuanced thing where you can demonstrate you have, have immunity. Then why don't we have a, a T T cell antibody certificate? Yeah, that that would be more surveillance. Yeah, that would be mm-hmm. that would be more nuanced and more in line with uh, science. But unfortunately, they're just taking a one size fits all approach, uh, and uh, a lot of uh, kids are unscientific. Which is yeah. a lot of kids have had it, and uh, they may have had been very mild asymptomatic infections, as so often happens in youngsters. Uh, they're now pushing for, uh, you know, vaccination, uh, even to go to a high school graduation, uh, which some of these kids have been deprived of. Some of these kids actually graduated last year. They couldn't go to their graduation. So belatedly, they're yeah. going to the graduation. They're being told they can't go to the graduation unless they've had a vaccine, which is a real form of coercion. So, yeah. um, well, not to mention some universities that are demanding it. Yeah, absolutely. That all the major take universities. The before they return to college. Yes, absolutely. All the major universities are, are demanding it. Um, look, you know, again, I, just for the record, I'm not anti vaccine. I just think we need a more uh, nuanced approach to, uh, you know, who, who should get it. Uh, some people, very, very high risk people, absolutely should get it. Some people, lower risk. Uh, you know, they may, or maybe they have a higher risk of having an autoimmune condition, uh, response to the vaccine. We haven't seen a lot of that, but there is some of that going on. There've been reports of, uh, uh, teenagers developing myocarditis. Uh, it's rare, but it's a, it's a serious condition. It's known to occur with viruses. Viral myocarditis is not uncommon and it can damage the heart. Uh, it's actually, uh, not an uncommon cause of congestive heart failure in, uh, younger people who don't have atherosclerotic disease. Um, so, you know, they're watching that carefully because, I mean, if, if, if they have very little risk of uh, serious consequences of coming down with COVID and they have even an infinitesimal risk of developing myocarditis, it's pretty serious. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, it, you know, again, uh, I think science is not taking uh, a front seat in our public health uh, efforts. No, here. no. And, and it's unfortunate, too, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. It really, really is. Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah. Went uh, went jogging this morning and, you know, uh, true to form outside, you know, people are, yes. are wearing masks walking around outside and it was a windy day. Uh, and I, I even saw a mom taking her little kid to school. The kid must have been like three and with a little mask mm-hmm. on. And I just felt really sorry for the kid. You know, it's like. Yeah, I feel sorry for all these little babies in strollers that have masks on them. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Their parents yeah. have two masks on them. Oh, no. And I just, it's terrible. Yeah. You know, what we, do they know? Psychological impact yeah. on a child that age. Right. Yeah, it's going to take a long time to un- unravel the uh, thing. But, you know, I see, when I talk about this, I get, uh, I get blowback because... Uh, even when, you know, I think I'm faithfully reporting the science, uh, you know, I was looking at my ratings on um, uh, Apple podcasts and they're uniformly high. There's like five, 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 five. And then there's a couple of ones. And one of them I read was, uh, well, I'm never going to listen to Dr. Hoffman again because he's against masks and vaccinations. And, you know, that's so not the case. Uh, I uh, wear masks in uh, indoor settings where I might, you know, I'm close. I'm like in a store or a market. Uh, I shed my mask when I'm outside. Uh, I think masks help a little bit, but they're not the panacea that was, you know, forecasted. Um, And I'm not anti-vaccination. I'm just more for a selective uh, approach to vaccination. I know that that I think when Doctors talk about being selective about vaccination. It, it makes them sound like they're undermining the vaccine effort because it's like, get everybody vaccinated. It's like right. kiss principles. Keep it simple, stupid. Unquestioningly, yeah. you should unquestioningly say vaccine for all. Yeah. That's what they want to hear. It's, it's the kiss message, you know, keep it simple, stupid. You know, it's like, don't ask, don't, you know, don't ask about any underlying conditions. Don't ask about, don't, don't you know, ask about pre-existing. Anything, just go. Yeah. Yep. Do as you're told. And you know, regardless yes. of age, regardless of health status, you know, it's like we're going to do it. Yep. Right. Okay. That's we're in the midst of. I mean, it was a terrifying thing. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, when, um, you know, in, in prehistoric times, you know, when uh, uh, people lived in caves and they were marauding cave bears and, uh, you know, your brother-in-law, Og, got eaten by a cave bear. Um, you're going to stay in that cave. For excessively long time. It's like, I'm not going out there because Og got eaten by a cave bear. I mean, I heard it on MSNBC or CNN or, you know, <laughs> it's, you know, it's kind of the same phenomenon. You'll, you're going to, I'm going to stay yes. in the cave. Going outside is not safe. Well, right. But the, the cave bears have, you know, they're extinct now. Well, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, good analogy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no more cave bears. All right, let's okay. go for uh, some of the questions. All right, we've got one from James. Dear Dr. Hoffman, I've been a listener for many years and follow many of your recommendations. I was most impressed by the March 30th podcast where you talked about aged garlic extract with Jim Laval. Yeah. I recently had a heart scan and my calcium score was an alarming 603. Moderately high. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's high. Moderately high. So my, my doctor put me on a low-dose statin. Mm-hmm. Uh, All right. By I wouldn't, the way, I wouldn't fight that. Us. I wouldn't yeah. fight that. Yeah. 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 He's been, he's 71 years old. He's been an athlete all of his life. He's yeah. a runner. Yeah. All that kind of thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, so now, was so I'm was Jim Fix, and then he dropped dead of a heart attack. You know, yeah, that's so, so run yeah. exercise. I mean, uh, is real good, but it's not, you know, the whole ball of wax. That's true. That's true. I consulted a healthcare professional who suggested to me that the key ingredient necessary for cardiovascular support I'm looking for is allicin. Mm-hmm. But I wrote to the Kyolic folks and they There's responded no allicin. that allicin is not present. Right. Yeah, but I, you know, I got to say so allicin is, is not opinion? yeah, allicin is not yeah. known what for cardiovascular benefits. For, I think it's for Alice, uh, exactly. Allicin is for SIBO. Yeah, allicin we use it's as a, a natural, natural antibiotic. antibiotic. Exactly. Yeah, it's it right. Yeah. So, um, I I don't think it necessarily has cardiovascular benefits. I mean, I could research that further. Uh, the components in aged garlic extract uh, do have cardiovascular preventive benefits. Uh, there's a big study by Matthew Budoff, interesting guy because he's at UCLA and he's actually one of the guys who uh, did a lot of the research on uh, coronary calcium scoring. Uh, actually, interestingly, mm-hmm. the guy who invented the scoring, you know, when you get a 600 or 1200, is Arthur Agatson, who is also responsible yes. for the South Beach diet. So he's kind of a, you know, Renaissance man guy. I mean, he wrote a popular diet, which I, you know, don't entirely agree with. Uh, you know, it's a very low fat diet, uh, but, um, and very high protein. But uh, mm-hmm. the Matthew Budoff, does uh, agreed to do a study on whether you whether you're going to get an additional benefit by adding aged garlic extract uh, to your program? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people were already on statins, and sometimes when people are already on statins, it um, sort of masquerades the benefits of something because already there's some protective effect. But what he found is whether you were on a statin or not, uh, and he did two year interval. Uh, EBT heart scans for calcium scores, and he found that uh, people generally progress, but they progress less when they add uh, aged garlic extract to their program. So, mm. um, regardless of whether they're on a statin, yeah, yeah. So, so that that's really the basis for that. Uh, Allison, we we prescribe Allison. It's the product I think is called Ali Max. Alimax, yes. We do it for and we methane predominant SIBO. For something like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Right. SIBO. Yeah. Because it, we use it, it's a nice natural antibiotic. Um, but, uh, you know, Allison also uh, is responsible for, you know, some of the odor of garlic, too. So some people yes. don't like to use products that are containing Allison. Right, 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 right. And basically, the allicin develops in a fresh uh, clove of garlic when you chop it up and set it aside for a minute or two. Mm. You know, you really get the aroma yeah. of the garlic. That's by, allicin. By the way, it's, it's not spelled like the girl's name. You know, it's... Right. Spell it. Uh, it's A-L-L-I-C-I-N. Yeah. For, okay. So, uh, the yeah. product we use is called Alimax. It's available uh, via Fullscript, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, James, take your Kyolic Aged Garlic Extract. It's not about the Allison. Yeah, take the reserve. Uh, the reserve is, um, I think, um, 600 milligrams per capsule, and you take four a day to get 2,400 milligrams. That's the dosage used by Matthew Budoff in his experiment. Okay. Yep. 
Now, we've got an email from Diana. I'm 78 years old, and I was diagnosed way back when with hypoglycemia. That was confirmed and taken care of with the diet and supplements back in the day. That's fine. I've continued to follow those instructions, and I've done well by them. By, by them. However, three weeks ago, I received the first jab of the Moderna vaccine, and a few days later, it came down with the side effect of hypoglycemia. My son-in-law is a pharmacist by education and works for Merck and told me that the hypoglycemia I'm experiencing indicates that the vaccine is working by using the sugar as energy to go through my body to build up immunity. No, that my I think, son- excuse me, I, I just think that's, wow. B, I think that's BS, uh, <laughs> to put it mildly. You know, it, no, look, tell us how you really feel, Dr. H. Right. I mean, because it, it, what, it, I mean, the first part of the, the statement may be true is that uh, when you take the vaccine, there, there are changes that happen to your immune system. And but it's not that, the you know, the sugar is helping your immune system or you know, what? Yeah, you know, I don't I don't. That's sort of weird logic. But here's yes. here's here's what's happening, I think. And, you know, I, I'm speaking from experience is that uh, when I get sick, uh I, you get a tremendous appetite. I mean, actually, to me, sometimes this is a harbinger of a cold. I go like, oh, my goodness, like, I'm so hungry. I'm just hungry, 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 and I'm feeling a little under the weather. Um, that, what that means is that cytokines destabilize your blood sugar. And we know that, for example, when diabetics get the flu, it's very dangerous because their blood sugar goes all out of control. They have to take more yes. insulin, for example. Uh, so yeah. that is a stress to the immune system. And so I suspect that, uh, yes, that means the vaccine is working. I guess that's a good sign. But it doesn't mean, you know, the second part of, you know, what he says. Um, and, you know, the guy's biased because he thinks the vaccine, you know, is, uh, you know, he's, he's pro-vaccine, obviously. He's, you know, he's a pride in his, right. you know, in his company for pulling off uh, this yeah. this major feat. Um, another thing, Dr. Hoffman, another thing. By the thing, way, he says he works for Merck. Well, Merck doesn't have a vaccine out there. I don't think Merck has a candidate, does it? Uh, probably, probably. But another I mean, thing is anybody who gets a cold or a flu, yeah. blood sugar naturally goes up. It's a response mm-hmm. to infection. It's a natural response. Yeah. Maybe, maybe then the pancreas sees this and is, you know, producing a little more insulin than normal and maybe causing hypoglycemia. Anyway, Diana says, my yeah. symptoms are continuing every day and worst in the morning when I wake up. Right. Do you think I should wait to get the second vaccine shot until my body doesn't have this hypoglycemia problem? Well, I'm afraid the second shot will make me even worse. Here's here's the interesting thing about vaccine sequencing. Um, you know, the, the manufacturer says, take it you know, three weeks after the initial one. And that's how they tested it, and that's how it works best. And then it came up with a situation in uh, in the UK and in certain other countries where they didn't have enough vaccines. So they said, better that everybody should get at least the first vaccine. And then when we have enough vaccine, then the people um, who had the first vaccine can then make their appointments for the second vaccine. And then the manufacturer said, well, we don't recommend that because the way we tested it was like three weeks. Got to be lockstep, three weeks, three weeks. So they yeah. studied it. They looked at people who took their second shot, you know, several weeks or even a couple of months after the initial shot. 
And they found that actually the immunity was superior and more long lasting <laughs> when, when you delayed the second shot. So, uh, you know, you can delay it. You, you know, if you get one, uh, statistically, you're uh, going to get a lot of protection, but you'll, you know, you'll get more protection um, if you, um, if you, um, uh, you know, take a second shot. If you wait. Yeah. But, you know, waiting is not bad, in other words, and maybe good. So another thing that I read about the vaccines, kind of interesting, is that, you know, they, these vaccines are phenomenally effective. 95%, 93%, 100% the recently Moderna, I think, was with kids. I mean, teenagers. So it was 100%. So what does that mean? Um, what it means is that under current situation where, you know, even if you haven't been vaccinated, your chances of getting the virus are not that great. Um, you know, these were tested during the, the more raging parts of the pandemic, but still, you know, not everybody was getting this. So, um, you know, without, uh, you could say, I took a sugar pill and that was like, uh, you know, 45% effective against, <laughs> against the, uh -huh. the virus. So, you know, there's a certain amount of, it, it, what they didn't do in these studies, they didn't put people in a room, uh, you know, with infected people. They did not put, you know, uh, viral particles in their nasal passages to challenge them. So lest you think mm -hmm. that these, um, you know, it represents this represents some um, incredible shield against overwhelming viral exposure. Uh, those numbers are a little bit uh, misleading. Uh, the other thing is I looked at, uh, this is a study in the Lancet just came out. Uh, they looked at numbers needed to treat for each of the vaccines to uh -huh. reduce one case of COVID. It's called uh, numbers, NN, NNV, numbers needed to vaccinate to, pre to prevent just one case. Mm -hmm. And what they found was that for most of the vaccines, it's about 70, 80, sometimes as much as 100 Uh so another 100 people need to get vaccinated or 70 or 60 people need to get vaccinated to prevent one case. That puts it in a little different light, doesn't it? You know, in terms of the uh, efficacy. So, again, I'm not I'm not saying the vaccines are not effective. I'm just saying that this this astronomically high number is achieved by looking at an average population and how likely they were to get uh, the infection. And the other point to be made is if they get the infection, it's usually a very mild infection and they're not, they're very unlikely to go on a respirator or die. So, I mean, yeah. the, the vaccines are very effective. Um, but you know, that is a little bit of a statistical manipulation there. Um, okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to a pause because we divide our podcast into two parts. Uh, give us a little, uh, preview what we're going to ask about in part two. Well, it's more vaccine, Dr. Hoppin. This one's about the J&J &J vaccine. Okay. We'll tackle that question in part two. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, today with Layla Mutant, our nutritionist in residence. And it's our weekly Q&A with Layla, radio program at AOL.com, the destination for questions. More coming up. Stay with us. <laughs> 